Today we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. While you turn there, I just want to kind of give a brief overview of where we have been in this sermon series. We have many new people here today, uh, but also all of us who have been here, it's good to kind of know where we've been. I want to start off by just saying, what is the basis for us being here today? Um, It's not just because we're doing things like choir and prayer and baptisms. We are here on the basis of what Jesus Christ did for us. We can't do any of these other things unless we come back to what Jesus did when he left his throne room. God became flesh and he walked for 33 years. And even though he had done nothing wrong, Jesus was taken and whipped and beaten and then nailed to a cross and bled out and died. He died and then he resurrected and he he took that as a gift towards us. Because the reality is, we deserve hell. We have done nothing for ourselves to deserve life. We have done nothing for ourselves to deserve the Lord's uh, favor. And so God, in order to earn that for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the basis by which we are here today. We have come and said, we are unworthy, but he is worthy. And he was sacrificed on our our behalf. The Lamb of God was sacrificed for us. When scripture, there's this really neat thing that happens is that we know that Jesus was crucified and that he resurrected. But before that time, God had been giving the picture of what he was going to do in the sacrifice of Jesus all along. He was giving them a a foreshadow of that. And one of the things that he did to foreshadow that uh, was that when the Jews had been slaves in Egypt and he was about to extract them out of that place. He was going to bring a final plague upon the Egyptians. He was going to kill all the firstborn in the land. Now, the Jews, they were in that land. And so what was going to happen to all their firstborn? They would have died under the plague that was to come, except God said on that night, you were to take a lamb for each household. I want you to roast that lamb. It needs to be a perfect lamb. Have it roasted. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb for your household. I want you to paint it on the door frame of your house. So that when the death angel comes in to deliver this plague of death, he will come to your door. He will see the blood that has been sacrificed for your family and he will pass over that house. You will be spared because something has died in your place. And so that holiday became known as Passover. And the Jews every year were told to celebrate Passover. Remember God's graciousness in preserving the life of your families. But in that celebration of Passover, it wasn't just a recollection of a historical event that happened in Egypt. It was also a picture. It was a picture of what was going to come because they might have been spared on that night. But because of sin, they all eventually died anyway. And the result also because of Adam and Eve is because of your sin and my sin. We would all just die anyway, even if Jesus put food on our plates today. Even if he helped you this week with your boss at work you still face death at some point down the road. What are you going to do about that? Nothing. You can't do anything, but Jesus could. And so God sent Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he was showing this picture of the Passover to say that Jesus was going to come and his blood would be shed. And then his blood, if you ask for his forgiveness, that blood is over you just like the blood that was over the door frames of the Israelites. And that when God comes with his judgment, his wrath, he will see Jesus' blood on you and he will pass over and spare your life and keep you for eternity alive. That's what he's given you. 
And so Passover was this picture of not only what had happened, but also what was to come. The Jews were to celebrate that all the time. Well, when we come to Second Chronicles, what's happened is the nation of Israel has been split in two. The northern kingdom's called Israel. The southern kingdom's called Judah. The king of Judah at this time, his name is Hezekiah, as you see on the slide. His father had been very wicked in leading Judah towards idolatry. He'd invited all kinds of idols into the land. They had built temples on all the high hills around. And in fact, not only did they worship those idols outside of Jerusalem, he'd in fact invited all the idols into Jerusalem and put them right in the very temple of Almighty God. And so if you came into their church sanctuary, you wouldn't see all the things of God. You'd see all the things of the other uh, idols around there. It was very filthy and filled with idolatry. In fact, Ahaz, his father, was so wicked that he took one of his sons and sacrificed him to one of these foreign gods. His own son. And so now another son, Hezekiah, has become king. And we've seen as we've started the story of Hezekiah, he has a very soft heart towards God. He wants to obey God and be right in the eyes of God. And so in his first month of office, he goes in and he says, we got to get rid of all this idolatry. And he begins to clean up the temple and the space whereby which his father had polluted it with idols. And so now they've gone about that that cleansing, and we come to this story about how they're going to celebrate Passover. And so that was a big lead up to this so that we would know what they're doing. They're in the midst of a a time when they've been very idolatrous, but this is going to be their first opportunity to really celebrate Passover. And so um, we come to chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles. It says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this would it seems fine, except remember the kingdom split in two at this time. He's the king of the southern kingdom, but he's writing letters to the Israelites in the northern kingdom. That seems pretty simple, like he's just extending a hand to nice relatives. But in fact, those northern relatives, while his father was king, had tried to come and destroy Judah. So there's not a lot of good feelings between the two. But he says, hey, this is what we need to do. Let's call all of us together and go to the Lord together again and celebrate Passover. So in a way, he's sending letters to enemies saying, let's get right before the Lord. Let's come together and unite in his name. And so he's sending letters even to these in the north. It says in verse two, for the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time uh, because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So that seems pretty normal. Hey, let's keep the Passover in the second month. Except for that, God had said you were to celebrate it in the first month. That's like you saying, man, well, we don't have dinner ready for Christmas. Let's just celebrate it on January 25th, you know? That seems kind of weird. We've already done Christmas. Uh, It it was weird to them. What Passover in the second month? But they had gone back to an old scripture in Numbers, whereby they weren't ready. Some of them were unclean. They weren't ready. And God said, I'll I'll let them do it the second month. So when they considered the scriptures, they said, maybe maybe we could do that. We, we, We weren't ready in time for month number one, but let's get ready for month number. Let's do this. Let's go to God. And so even though it wasn't the normal They're just so into this. They want to 
they want to thank God for what he's done and celebrate this Passover that they send the letter and say, let's just do it on the second month. Everybody come to Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate Passover. And so it says in verse five, so they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep Passover, keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who are faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to them, him. And so he sends out this letter and says, hey, look, our fathers have been wicked. We need to return to the Lord. Let him be gracious to us that he might restore us. He goes on in verse 10 and says, so the couriers went from, this, uh, from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun. But they laughed at them to scorn and mock them. However, some men of Asher and of Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princess commanded by the word of the Lord. The letters go out and a lot of the people who receive the letter that says, hey, let's return to the Lord. Let's go do what he says. It came to a lot of the people. And you know what they did? <laughs> that is so stupid. Are, are you serious? I'm going to leave my job for a week to go down to this celebration. And that was going to happen. Passover happened within a feast that was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It wasn't just a one day. It was a whole week where you went and camped out in, in Jerusalem. So you, you expect me to leave my job, leave my, my house, and actually walk down there 75 miles uh, to get to this? No way. No way. They were so prideful in heart. They said, we're just not going to do this. But there were some. There were some that were humbled in their heart. And they said, yeah, we recognize that we are in complete need of God. We need to humble ourselves and return to the Lord. We're going. And so they go on to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. And it says in verse 13, and many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the Kidron, uh, Kidron Valley. So if you can imagine, they came in and every altar that had been to a foreign god that was wretched and awful and, uh, awful and wicked, they took it and they went and threw it in the town dump. That's where the Kidron Valley was. That's where their garbage dump was. And a very uh, symbolic gesture to take anything that wasn't the Lord saying, we don't want any filth among us. We're taking it all out. We're putting it where it belongs. It's, it's all garbage. We don't want it. We don't want to pollute this celebration at all. But then it goes on and says what they did on verse 15. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed so that they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed, uh, accustomed posts 
according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests threw blood through the blood that they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service for the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So they all come together and they're like, we're going to do this. They go and they throw all the idols and trash into the garbage dump. And then they come together and they start doing the Passover. And you know, you know how they did it? Wrong, <laughs> right? First of all, they're doing it on the wrong month. And then some people weren't even consecrated. The priests weren't ready to get going. And, and, and then some people, because they traveled so far, they haven't even taken the opportunity to make sure they were ceremonially clean. On the outside, they had completely messed up. Just like when we do church, there's a lot of times we really mess up. Can we just be honest with one another? When we try to be religious, we're just not very good at it. We might be good at it for this couple of hours here because everybody else is watching and we've got our good clothes on. But then we go out this door and we try to be the church and we're just not really good at following the Lord. And yet the Lord looks at us and he's like, what a bunch of goofballs. He's not looking at all the outside things about how perfect you can live your life. He's looking into your heart and he's wanting to know, when I look at your heart, do I see somebody who's full of pride and just going through the religious rules and laughing at me or just putting on a show thinking they can get by and then one day I'll excuse them into eternity? Or does he look into your heart and he sees somebody who goes, you know what? I realize I can't do this all right. And because of that, I need your good grace, God. Did you recognize the prayer that Hezekiah prayed? He just prayed, Lord, we need your help. We, we can't even do this right. Would you please excuse the fact that we didn't even do Passover right? And did you see what God did? He said, okay, I forgive you. Yesterday, uh, the basketball team I coach had their first game. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a hard game. Because when you looked at the scoreboard at the end, we didn't have as many points as they did. You know, when we looked up there, it was like, we lost the game. But I'll tell you what, my team succeeded. Right? Because before the game, I was with them and I said, here's what I want to see. I want to see each and every one of you play your guts out. And I want you to hustle and I want you to help one another as teammates and encourage one another. And I want you to respect the refs and I want you to play with class and I want you to go play as 
hard as you can doing the things that we've practiced. You know what? They went out there and they hustled. They did all those things. They didn't do everything right. And we didn't make as many buckets. And we had some traveling calls on us. You know what? They succeeded. You know why? They went out there with a heart that said, we're just going to go and give it our all. And you know what? If we had had a, a, a better score than our opponent at the end of our game, but our players had not hustled, and they had ripped the refs, and they were mean to the other team, and they looked at one another with pride saying, I'm the one who's going to score all the points. We may have won, but man, their coach would have been disappointed. I was so proud for their heart, right? I was so proud that despite the world looking at a score and saying, you totally screwed up, that a coach could look in their heart and say, you know what? You did exactly what you're supposed to. I love you guys. The next game, we're going to go try again. And I want to see that team in the tourney, right? It's like the child that comes home from school and they've worked so hard in their craft class to prepare you as a parent, a beautiful picture. I mean, you can just see it on their face, how much they worked at that thing. And they come up and they say, dad, I made you this. And you take that and you look at it and you know what? Not very much of that color crayon made it within the lines. Man, they made it with love. They made it because they say, Dad, I love you. I recognize our relationship and I just, I want to be with you. I want to show you how much I love you. And here's a gift. I just want to give it back. And you look at that and you look at it and you say, this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. It would rival Picasso, right? You love it because of their heart. And these people that had come in Jerusalem, they gathered together and they, they had colored outside the lines and, and they didn't score as many religious points as maybe other people in the world who are more pious than them. But they came and they said, Lord, we're completely messed up and we need you. And you know what the Lord says? He says, I love that. I love a humble heart because a humble heart just says this. I am completely and utterly dependent upon the Lord for anything. I need him for salvation. I need him for breath. I need him for food. I need him to be able to walk. I need him to be able to be kind to other people. I need him to be able to do anything in this life and for all of eternity. I am in complete need of you. And that is humility. I saw a good quote about humility the other day. It said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We are completely geared in our culture just to think about you, 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 and what you want. You may go help other people, but the way you want to do it. You may come to church and sing all the songs to God, but the way that you want to do it. Isn't that most of the time how we get into fights about how to do church? No, I don't want to sing those songs. That's not what I like. No, I don't want to decorate it that way because that's not what I like. It's usually about us. God says, stop thinking so much about yourself. Come consider me how do we consider him think about the ways he's given us to consider him passover lambs how good is it that he sacrificed his one and only son for us so good so good consider the fact that as the god of the universe he sat with 12 men at a passover supper 
where he broke bread called communion, the Lord's Supper. He said, this is my body and this is my blood. And I call you friends. Consider what that means. He loves you. He loves you. And as you come to faith and you recognize your need and you just cry out to Almighty God and say, save us, save me. He saves you. He takes the blood of Jesus and he covers you. He takes his spirit and he washes you clean. And you have no more record before God. Your sin is completely forgotten. And now, even though you might mess up, he looks down at you and he sees not your record and how incapable you are at being good and righteous. And he looks down and sees the record of his son, which is completely holy. We don't deserve that. That should cause us to be humble. But in that humility, did you see what Hezekiah and the people did? They went and said, then we're just going to worship him with all that we got. And I love how the story ends because it says this. Then the whole assembly, verse 23, the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. That wasn't in the rules. But they said, we've just seen God so much. Look what he's done. Let's go another seven days. We don't need to go back to work. We need God. Let's stay another seven days and worship him. And so they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. And the whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who had come out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer. This is the best part. Their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. They were people with humble, joyful, abandoned towards God, who God said, I I just love you that you love me. It wasn't about how great they could make themselves. We need to be careful in America right now. How do we make America great again? We humble ourselves. We hum- how do we make our families? How do we make the church great again? Well, first of all, it's not about us. It's completely about Jesus. And then what happens is you say, now I'm just going to give it my all. Whatever you tell us to do, Lord, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. And when we go and do that, we don't go out and then begin to police the world and say, you guys, are, you're getting it all wrong. It's not our place. We go out and we share. Here's the Passover lamb. Here's what he's done for you. Here's his love. And it calls us and it calls them to humility. And the church oftentimes... We get this little thing in ourselves that says, I'm going to do it my way. And there's going to be people in the world that respond like that. I'm going to do it my way. Any of you as a young child ever try to run away? I remember when I, yeah, okay. I got an honest fellow up here in the front. Uh, I want to be honest. I, I tried a couple times to run away. I don't know what happened. I was angry at my folks. 
And so as a young boy, I'm not, kids, don't do it. I'm not giving you permission to go do it. It's not a good idea. That's where I'm going with this. But I decide I'm going to run away. So just like the cartoons, you take a hanky and you tie up all your, the things you need, your supplies. You, you tie it up, you put it on the end of a stick, and you start walking. And before you get to the end of the walk, you've already eaten all the granola bars in your, in your sack, right? And you get to the end of the block, and you're going to do your own thing, and you're going to run away, and you're going to go your own way. And you get to the end of the block, and you realize you look back towards home and said, wait, I'm, I'm completely dependent upon that one back there. That's what we do to God. Adam and Eve did it in the garden. You and I have done it since birth. We said, I'm going my own way. We're running away. And we get down the road. And if by God's graciousness, we finally come to our senses, we look back and we say, wait a second. I don't have enough to make it in this life. I don't have enough to make it for eternity. If we say in that moment, I don't give a damn. I don't bring that up to be crass. What that is saying is, I don't care enough to go back and to be dependent upon God. I'd rather be damned. That's the decision in that moment. I don't care. That means we're destined for judgment. But in that moment, when God is, we've gone out on our own. We're like the prodigal son just sitting in a pig slot, having nothing to eat. And we say, you look back and you say, but it's actually better with him. Even if I don't agree all the time with dad. I need to go back. And if you've strayed away today, in this moment when you say, I don't care, it means you'd rather, rather face damnation than turn around and say, in humility, Lord, I just I call upon you to save me. Give me the heart of Hezekiah. Give me the heart of those who came to Jerusalem. Give me a heart like others in this church that I've seen bow down to you and say, I, I have complete need of you and I can't put my trust in anything else. Cry out to him and say, God, save me. You don't have to get it right before you come to God. God already got it right for you by sending his son. And so when your heart say, Lord, save me. And then you don't got to like tiptoe around thinking, I don't, I don't want to make him bad by getting everything wrong. Just say, Lord, I'm yours now. I'm your servant. What do you want me to do? And whatever he tells you to do, like Hezekiah, like a 10U basketball team. You just go do whatever the coach tells you to do as best you can. You rely on him for your strength and you just get to it. And one day, the scripture says that Jesus is going to break through the clouds. And there he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will be no one who will be able to stand up before his judgment and say, I did it my own way. I did it the world's way. I did it my wife's way. I did it whatever way seemed best. No one will be able to stand before him that day unless we look at him and say, Lord, we did it your way. You are the way. You are the truth and you are the life. And I can't wait to that day. I cannot wait to that day. Can you? The Lord comes and grabs you and gets a hold of you. The thing you should do is you shouldn't just say, well, I'll decide after the covered dish meal. Let me decide once I get a good meal in me. Let me decide on my day off. Let me decide in another month. No, today. Today, return to the Lord. Hezekiah didn't wait one month of his kingship. He went right after it and said, right now. And so if the Lord's getting your heart right now, if you've never known Jesus 
don't keep being prodigal and going down the road. There's going to be a day when it's too late. Instead, just say, Lord, I don't know what all it means. I recognize you're tugging on my heart, but right now I just want to give my heart to you and, and ask for your forgiveness. And here's God's promise. He forgives you and then he takes his Holy Spirit and he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. He immerses you into his spirit and you become a part of the body of Christ. And you are then a part of the church. And today we're going to have a beautiful expression of that. A man, uh, Mr. Greg Sherman, who has said, the Lord's done that in me. I'm still trying to figure out all that that means. But the Lord has saved me. He's immersed me by his Holy Spirit. He's baptized me. And I want to make an outward proclamation of that in my life. The scripture says clearly that if we are his disciples, we're to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? People argue about different ways to do it. And we may get it wrong. I may stutter up there. It reminds me of the story of the mom. And she had come home with her kids from a, a baptismal service. And she looked out the window. And she saw her kids out in the mud puddles just and one of the older kid was taking the younger kid and smashing his face down in the mud puddle. And, and, and she runs out there and she says, well, what are you doing, your brother? And he says, we're having a baptismal service. She says, what, what are you talking about? And he says, the pastor said, we're to baptize in the name of the father and of the son. And in he goes. That's what I was doing. And he goes. We may not get all the things right. But when Greg comes up and is baptized, it's him saying, I recognize what God's done in my heart. And I just want to tell the world. I want to show the world I'm his. Greg, I'm going to ask you to come forward at this time. And Lillian, you're welcome to come up too because she's going to go in and help. And uh, I just want to pray for him before we go. And then we're going to give an opportunity for, for you all to sing uh, as we go get prepared. And in your heart, that's a moment to respond to the Lord in every, whichever way he's calling you in, in, a, in a humble way to say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my sin. I call upon you to be saved. And Greg, did you want to say anything this morning about what the Lord's done? I know. I know the one thing that Greg's expressed to me is I think this last year is uh, as he's been in Bible study and we've been working the weather. He just knows the Lord's been after him. And he just he continues to say uh, by his words and by his life, I love the Lord back. I just see what he's done baptism in water it doesn't save you it's an outward side of what god has already done in it, in our hearts and so the lord has come and worked faith in greg today is the opportunity for him to express this is what the lord's done in my heart and so we're going to pray for him and then we'll go get ready and we're going to worship the lord together just like they all did with passover uh, back with hezekiah we're going to have a baptism today and worship the lord together by what he's done in this brother so let's pray for you uh greg at this time lord we just come before you as we've heard the word of God and recognize there's lots of ways to be religious, but there's only one way to be saved. You've given us salvation through your Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that as Greg has called upon you for salvation and now expresses it today through his baptism, I pray not only that you would bless him, but it, it would be a call for all of us, Lord, to again reevaluate our heart, to submit it in humility before you, to return to our God. I pray for Greg that this would be a great moment that he will look back to and, and, and recognize your continued work in his life. May it be a, a great honor for all of us to witness the, uh, this today that we might continue to be called back as well. Lord, we just give you thanks for how much you love us. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and ask that in all these things, even though we might not get everything right, Lord, that you would be pleased because in our hearts you see Jesus.
We pray this in his name. Amen.